With the landlord and tenant board, the, the eviction timing is going to speed up and we're hoping to have that sped up by, you know, within 30 days you're having. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome back. It is Sarah Larby, and I'm glad you're back today for a great episode with Kayla Andrade, who is the founder of Ontario Landlords Watch, and she's been a true advocate for landlords across Ontario and being able to help maneuver and and help us through the system that is, in my opinion, geared very strongly towards the tenants and not so much to help the landlords, but she's been making sure that we have our voices heard. And this is a great podcast. We talk about different bills, uh, Bill 184 in particular and its impact. We talk about how things have evolved from a landlord-tenant standpoint, the rules, this is going to be important for you to know as a landlord, especially if you are in Ontario. And I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. If you haven't yet, La Kayla has a Facebook group, Ontario Landlords Watch. Let her know that you've listened to the podcast and she will include you in the group so that you know what is going on and what is happening for landlords or to landlords uh, across the province. And I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. See you next week. Kayla, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure having you on again. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a pleasure to be on any of your, your podcasts. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> awesome. So you are the founder, president of Ontario Landlords Watch. You are a landlord advocate fighting you know, on our behalf, or I should say, trying to make the system a little bit more fair for landlords, but also ensuring that tenants aren't getting screwed over either. And so I think, yeah, you know, what you, uh, what you help us strive for and, and fight for is very fair in my opinion. And for those of you that may not know Kayla, maybe just give us a quick background. I mean, I know you're already a, a real estate investor, but a quick background on uh, how you got involved with Ontario Landlords Watch or how you decided to create it in the first place. Yeah. So like you mentioned, I've been an investor since the age of 18. I end up, uh, got approached by one of the city councillors in the city of Cambridge who had told me uh, that if my tenant didn't pay for their water bill, it was going to be put to my property taxes. So that's when I started to get a taste of, of politics and how it really affects the housing industry. Uh, I knew that it was not right. It was unjust for the city to make landlords responsible for their tenants delinquent utility bills but I knew I needed more people that felt the same way as I did. So I ended up calling landlords from Kijiji and I kept saying, hi, I'm calling about your semi. I'm not calling to rent it. I just want to let you know that if your tenant doesn't pay your water bill, it's going to be put to your property taxes. Get down to the city, this protest, let's go. And we had a good amount of people that showed up there. And from that little group of people that showed up at, uh, at the city hall, we end up forming ourselves into a Facebook group, uh, which had then blossomed throughout the last 10 years. I traveled to different landlord associations, different uh, water billing meetups uh, at their city hall and met so many landlords there, introduced them to Ontario Landlords Watch. And ever since, we've just been talking to as many investors as we possibly can and telling them of what OLW is and how they can get involved because their comments and their posts, it all matters when it helps them 
and helps me advocate on their behalf. It's great. Awesome. Now, now you're in Ontario. So, you know, if we're some, if you guys are listening to this and you're somewhere else, uh, you know, across Canada, um, you know, you might have a Kayla that's doing what, uh, what Kayla is doing in Ontario, hopefully, uh, in your, in your provinces you do, but what are some of the things? So, I mean, it's, it's great that you were able to, to form that and, and to be able to, to think outside the box. And I don't know, you know, too many, I don't think that there's anybody else that's, uh, that's out there for small landlords in Ontario anyways, um, you know, doing the, the, the stuff that you're doing to the extent that you're also, um, focusing on it. Cause you've been at this, I think for, for 10 years, is it 10 years? 10 years. <laughs> 10 years. So are you able to share, you know, maybe if you had to recap three of your biggest wins, uh, you know, in the past 10 years, um, you know, with the, the RTA and going and, and talking to the elected officials and all that good stuff? Well, uh, through our 10 years, we've always advocated to have the RTA reviewed. And that had finally happened within our 10 years because we kept pushing for it. We had Bill 184 that came out. Now, it wasn't quite everything that landlords wanted, but it was enough to give us a little bit of edge, uh, as well as advocating to change the way the Landlord and Tenant Board runs their hearings. So they, we thought that because of COVID, it now went digital. They were actually going to go digital um, be because of COVID, not because of COVID. They were already in that process of doing it. So we can consider that a win. Uh, even for our paperwork, you know, when we have our rent increases and sometimes landlords, you say, hey, tenant, you know, rent is 1.5% or 2.5%, whatever the case may be. Um, you just assume the tenants would accept that through text message. Well, it, that wasn't type of uh, the policy that would have happened that way. You had to have it on an N1 application and you needed to make sure it was the, the 1.5 slash 2.5, whatever the max could be at that time. And then it would be able to work itself into the system. But now with Bill 184, you're now able to take whatever the rent amount, let's say if it was over 2.5, um, but your tenant paid that amount on time, um, on time for 12 months straight and didn't dispute it, that could actually be considered the lawful rent. So we have that to consider it to be almost a win if you look at it so that tenants can't go back and, and try to say, hey, I want all my money back uh, that the landlord had charged me because it was an illegal rent increase or whatnot. So that was a win. And we're at the table. We're at the table, Sarah. This is this is big for anyone. Like we have, you, you give me three, but I probably have 20 different things that we've been able to do. We have more landlord groups on Facebook as well who are advocating for the same thing and helping landlords uh, with their day-to-day -day operations. But we are finally at the table meeting with the landlord and tenant board. We finally had our fourth con consultation. We have another one that's gonna be coming. It's great to be able to feel that you're finally being listened to. And uh, they're, they're taking our suggestions. This is, this is really big for the landlord community. And, and everyone in, in the landlord community or the housing community in general. Absolutely. I mean, and it almost seems like that's, that was, I think the, one of the ultimate goals is for you to be able to have, you know, that much of a voice and, and influence to, to help us. And it sounds like there's a few people now that are, are really rooting for you to, to come on board and, and get more, you know, feedback from landlords and, and uh, in my opinion, why potentially many of us are exiting the game altogether. 
because of the you know very skewed landlord tenant board and residential tenancies act so so i think that's a great win and congratulations on that and just to go back to the other one that you also mentioned where you've got the increase that now if they've been paying it for a certain amount of time it it becomes lawful rent well i mean here's the thing right is and i'm going to say this and we're recording it but if i think that the rents could be more than 2.5 and i can get away with it and my tenant's going to be okay with it I don't necessarily go by the 2.5 or the 1.5. I do for the majority of them, but some of them are, are still under market and I know the tenants and they know me and we both agree to it. Well, you know what, if it's three and a half or four and a half or, or whatever the percentage is, it's good to know that, you know, they're not going to go back 10 years or five years and say, well, you overcharged me by this amount of percentage, but you're, you're actually now locking it in. So that, that is really good for, for landlords to know as well. Oh, it's a business. Every number counts. And I think that's the part where even though if a tenant agrees with it, uh, the chances of them coming back to fight it is going to be very slim. But then again, we do have our counterpart of our tenant activist groups, and you never know what could potentially happen. So it's really nice to see that we have that part uh, kind of going with us. And like you said, like we do have landlords sadly leaving the business or not really leaving it completely, but just scaling back, getting rid of their single families, getting rid of the condos or getting rid of their semis because the market is so hot right now. And it, it, it seems to continue to keep going up, right? So we do have to take into consideration of why, um, but I think we're getting the, the ears of many different elected officials and staff, the landlord and tenant board. And I just, uh, and we, we're having great conversation now with city councillors and regional councillors because they know what's on the horizon. It's almost like a tsunami. It's a tsunami of issues. And they're now looking at, okay, let's bring these small landlords to the table. And this is something, again, to another achievement that uh, all of us should be proud of because it truly is a team effort. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't know if you if you have, you know, some info on this, but in, in regards to the rental stock that's out there, how much of it is small landlord versus, you know, big institutional landlord? Do you have any of those stats that you're you're able to share? And then I guess, you know, what I'm curious at is, you know, are you are there things that you would suggest that maybe, you know, they do or that you're talking to them about things that they can do to to bring more of that inventory and, and potentially even more small landlords to to want to keep their properties or to want to create some rentals. Can you talk a bit about that? Just had the conversation this afternoon. <laughs> so we're looking at at least over 60% of the housing stock is through small landlords. And a lot of the solutions that are elected officials at a municipal and regional and probably even provincial think that a lot of the stock comes from our, our developers. So we're saying that it's the smaller landlords. And when you look at small landlords, who are they? Is it the ones that are open their secondary suite? Is it the ones who have a duplex, a, a triplex, you know, maybe a fiveplex? What is that overall definition of small uh, landlords? Everyone's still trying to figure out because you can own, you know, 20 properties. Are you cash flowing that well to be considered a big landlord? Or do you have just three units, four units? making some serious cash flow working really well it's to the concept it's the mom and pops it's the ones that have still full-time jobs in the matter and it's the ones who are trying homeowners who are just trying to open up their secondary suite and that's the part where we love is that secondary suites have been our, my main um what i advocate to create more of a housing stock but problem is is that we have the residential and tenancy act and the landlord and tenant board that is really scaring um, current landlords. So you can only imagine what it will do to, to try to encourage normal homeowners to open up their secondary suite in their basement while they live upstairs. So I, I, exactly what we've said today is that we need the municipal, we need the re regional, and they need to help us get to the provincial government and tell them this is what we need to do to correct the RTA. And we need the attorney general involved to help deal with the LTB. And then we talked to the regional counselor today and said, hey, you know what? You need secondary suites. And when you look at what your planning uh, department wants for a landlord or a homeowner to open up their secondary suite, you have it with you know, the, the square footage of 6040, you have a problem with in-suite laundry, you have a problem that there's no parking. I said, you gotta stop putting those type of policies in there because sometimes we're catering to people who have no car and they may not have a car. So it really sucks sometimes when you wanna create a secondary suite and there is no parking, then your, your selection of tenants have to be transit goers or someone who doesn't need a, a car. I said, you have to take in the consideration that you need to provide housing still and you're preventing it just because of parking. And the council is like, yep, I agree. I'm like, so why are you guys restricting us? So there's, so that's why I have that city councilor now putting a team of, of city staff and of course their committees together as well, hopefully some regional councilor or some city councilors so that we can give them the idea of how they're really truly affecting the housing industry at a municipal level. Then we're gonna bring the regional people together and then we're gonna get ourselves, like we always have, getting the provincial government uh, involved and trying to piece all these levels of government together in order to have them speak with the small investors to really come together and work together instead of causing the friction between, between all parties. 
Absolutely. Do you have any idea of like how much shortage or how, you know, how much more inventory we actually need to, to create more of a, a balanced market? Because I'm, I'm looking at, you know, and everywhere that I look within, I would say, a, you know, a, a two to three, maybe even more hour radius, the vacancy rates are like 2% and under, you know, unless, unless you're maybe in a, a Toronto condo, you know, throughout the pandemic, but at some point that's going to resolve itself, you know, what, like how much of a, of a need, I don't know if you have that idea, is it, or if it's a percentage or a number of units that we need to be creating on a yearly basis or, or whatnot, like, you know, what does that shortage look like? Now I'm pretty sure it could be the Ontario stats that I've seen, but they talked about over 200,000 units based on the immigration and based on the concept of need, they had 200, 200,000. And the regional counselor said to me today that the number is doubling for how many people are waiting for government housing. They went from 3,000 to 6,000 and now they're waiting for the 2021 stats that come out. She said that they tend to come every year, but they get a big report every five years. So this is where we have a, a, a problem that the government can't even keep up with building and managing and maintaining and supplying. So they, they do need to look at private landlords to be that partner, not just, just the developers, because they're struggling to even get developers to come to the city to build these units when just the material cost in itself with the development charges that they charge you know, so they have to start, I always tell them the definition of insanity is, is doing the exact same thing and expecting different results. And that's what they've been doing for years. And the problem is getting worse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, especially with the immigration. I mean, I, I love that we've got such a big immigration number. I, I think that's great for, for real estate as, as an investor. But yeah, I, like, I don't know where everyone is going to go unless they make big changes very quickly. And, uh, and, and it, and it sounds like, you know, you're, you're in discussions uh, and, and you're trying to, you know, get them to, to see the other side and the other point of view. What are, you know, if, if you had to summarize some of the, the major concerns that a landlord uh, or a real estate investor might have, like when, when you're reading, you know, in your Facebook group, some of the, the current issues, some of the concerns um, that landlords might have, if you had to summarize those, what would, what would they be? I would say if you had to pick, you know, the, the, top, the top few of them. The top issue is non-payment of rent. You know, we have, we, uh, until Landlord Credit Bureau, we never had any type of uh, repercussions for these tenants until now where you can report to an agency that goes to Equifax. So that's the part that's, you know, feeling like instead of putting all of our hope and all of our eggs in one basket and waiting for the government uh, to make these changes, it's great to know that we have different products and different services out there. But when the Landlord and Tenant Board is slowly trying to address this backlog, and because tenants are finding ways around to avoid the eviction, even though landlords finally waited months and months and months for their hearing, they still get an adjournment or they have to reschedule a hearing because the tenants are being represented by legal, legal representation in which they pull section 83, which uh, is trying to convince the adjudicator to delay or deny the eviction based on their circumstances. So that came in new because of COVID. Um, so we do have the non-payment rent. And again, we go to the concept of there's many different government agencies out there that can help tenants who have been affected, like truly affected by COVID and sending them to these agencies to get them help with rent arrears. And they will pay a good chunk of that rent arrears. 
but it's just about guiding them to that type of funds in order to do it. Now, the way that the eviction ban has been rolling out, we had a first one, we had a second one, people are wondering, right, is a third one coming? And can they hold on to it? And if they can't, what is their, what is their escape? What are they gonna get into next? So the number one is, is just the rent arrears. And I think this is all about landlords communicating with the government, but I don't know if the government wants to let people know about the rent arrears program because then they're bailing out. They rather say eviction ban, we want an eviction ban, but there's money over here that tenants can pay to keep them in their homes. Like it's, it's a really confusing uh, way. And honestly, all these elected officials, they're playing politics with the housing industry and that's why nothing's getting done. Can you give us a little bit more detail about that government money that's available? Like where could somebody go? You know, what's, give us maybe some, some sources of, of what that looks like and where to go and, and maybe where to, to potentially guide other fellow landlords if they're in a situation, you know, where there's non-payment of rent. So right off the bat for every landlord that's listening right now, if you do have a tenant that's not paying and you have your paperwork ready to go for your hearing, you've got to show that you've tried to work with your tenant through COVID and to work out any type of payment arrangement. If you have it in writing that your tenant refuses to work with you, that so be it, at least you have it. I like to go a little extra and we like to give them links. So you've got one, the portable housing benefit uh, that you can guide them to. So if you just Google in portable housing, benefit send that to your tenant to say hey just to give you some extra help towards paying rent and then you have agencies they'll be very different names throughout the regions but every region has one in the Cambridge Ontario it's called Lutherwood and majority of these places are also uh, the agencies are ran by uh, social services so Ontario works so they don't have to quite be on Ontario works to have access to it but they can go there to apply for emergency funding uh, that they can get to bail out and I've seen a total of like three thousand dollars that the they actually paid towards someone's rent arrears at the time now when this first COVID thing happened and they put the eviction ban in place my first phone call was to this agency to say hey just wanting to know um if I have a tenant that can't pay rent because of COVID you know are you guys going to help them out with rent arrears well because of the eviction ban that was put in place they say we're not doing it right now but when COVID is, is, you know, listen, and the restrictions are, we don't have an eviction ban in place, then send your tenants to us, and we can see what we can do for them. And there's also different type of agencies out there. So you can Google some relief to for the tenant when, when it comes down to their utilities as well. So what I'll do, sir, I'll try to get it out to you so you can get it out to your members if they if they call upon you. Um, because I, I have them here, I just you know, don't really have them at my fingertips, but I'll be able to send the links to you so that they have uh, an idea where they can look for different uh, programs to help tenants. That's, that's amazing. And if anyone's listening to this and, and wants that list, then, uh, then just send me an email, um, Sarah at sarahlarby.com. Thank you, Kayla. That's, that's amazing. So, you know, again, um, you know, you're doing a ton of stuff out there for us on our behalf. You know, what, what do you think, and I, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but, you know, what do you think the future might hold, you know, if we had to fast forward six months or 12 months uh, for the RTA, the Landlord-Tenant Board, you know, what you're working on in terms of, you know, creating a, a better, more, more, you know, fairer, even system, um, you know, what's, what's your forecast on that? see with the landlord and tenant board the the eviction timing is going to speed up 
and we're hoping to have that sped up by you know within 30 days you're having uh, the date of your hearing in which right now landlords are still waiting eight months 12 months to even get a date for their hearing uh, so at least we have a, a, a hope that with this online way of doing our hearings it's going to be great as well as uh, teaching them how to uh, have certain cases have certain applications not having to have a full-on hearing for so I think they're really listening to that and that could also speed up the process Process, but understanding that it's still bringing the levels of government and I finally have that uh, hope that they are now listening and they are reaching out versus us trying to reach out to them. Uh, so they see that we need to not only look at how we can work together with our private uh, market, but we want to educate them on what's happening in their current portfolio. So government housing. They find very shocking to see how many people are abusing government housing and uh, we're there to inform them how they're doing it and why they're doing it. And uh, this is a way for us to, to work together on, you know, maybe some of these people in government housing are not uh, needing government housing. They just need a little help and a little bit of subsidy to be in the private market. But we do have a population of people who are, are needing more government housing and more government services and wraparound services in order to, to make sure that we can keep uh, those people off the streets. You know, we, we look as landlords and we're, we're happy about our evictions, uh, able to evict it. But we have to see as taxpayers, we're paying for this in the long run because we have uh, $3,000. Did you know it costs $3,000 to house someone in a motel right now? So this is, this is what's happening because um, when the shelters are full, you put people into motels. So you could give someone an entire house to rent for $3,000. You can make them the landlord and they can sublet the units, the, the bedrooms if they really wanted to. So we're trying to show them the inefficiencies within their program and, and, and educating them that their current programs that uh, entice landlords to want to partner with these agencies uh, to house people who are waiting for government housing or people who are in need or chronic homelessness. Um, they have to understand that private landlords are not signing up with this program and nor do we want to because of the residential and tenancy act and the landlord and tenant board and i if they go and tell 10 people about these programs i will go and tell 50 not to sign up with it until they help us and fix the rta and the landlord and tenant board yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you you see the the letters, and and sometimes I I see them even being posted from you know the city of Hamilton or or in different different cities looking for housing. But you're right. I mean, I I could not do it. I would not do it because you're going to potentially have a problem on your hands that they're not going to step up and take care of. They're just going to give you the problem and hand over the problem. And so it, it's tough, like you said, unless they fix the RTA and they fix the LTB, because I think right now in the time of recording, we're looking at about 12 month delays and, and then what, right? But, but to, to go back to your point, $3,000 a month, that is a lot of money for a motel when somebody could, you know, or they could spend probably two and find something amazing or potentially less and find something amazing and then just, you know, figure out a way to work with those, those private landlords. But again, like you said, private landlords are going to want to do it. So it goes back to fixing the RTA and fixing the LTB. And until that's fixed, until we know that if something, something is not right, we don't have to wait 12 months. Why would we do that? Why would we wait 12 months and accept a potential big problem on our hands that they're not going to help us deal with. I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't do it. I mean, maybe it sounds horrible. I, you know, I, I care about people, but 
I also, you know, it's a business at the end of the day, and I'm not going to be paying somebody to live for free, you know, for, for 12 months and, and, uh, you know, help the government when they're not going to help you figure out the problem if the, if it becomes a problem. And, and likely I would just guess that a lot of them will become problems. I even said, I said, if you look at, you're going to guarantee the rent, you're going to guarantee the damage, but not tell me how much damage. And then you're going to provide a mediator in between us and the tenant, just in case, um, you know, communication breaks down. It sounds all fabulous. But when that one tenant is taking me a year to, to evict and the other tenants that are good paying tenants are now leaving my property, because of that one in particular tenant, you're leaving me no other choice but to try to evict that tenant or leave those units empty until I can get that tenant removed and knowing that I will never sign up on the program again. So we have to work it with, you know, who is the type of people that we're working with? What is the need of these people? Is it a stepping stool of letting them stay in our unit for a month, two months at the most, but be able to remove them without having to go to the RTA? And that it could be a stepping stool until they get themselves into government housing. But we have many people in government housing that do not need to be there. They just need a little bit of rent subsidy. They just need a little bit of help to be in the private market. But sadly, all those units are taken up and they're, they're not going to be used for people who are absolutely in the need for those type of government house, housing units. And I know that the money there is crazy. Uh, it's almost like winning the lottery if you get into government housing. Like, yeah, we just stay there forever. You know, cheap rent. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if, if we could operate like motels where they're not bound to the RTA, because I'm, I'm guessing that the, the motels that are housing them, they can call the cops and get them removed because they're, they're under a different act. And so, yeah, I, I mean, if the RTA didn't apply, I'd probably consider it, you know. For, for some of the rentals, I, I mean, maybe not the, the nice, nicer ones, but it, it would make sense if we could be, if we could be looked at just like a temporary shelter type of space and something happens, you can get them removed within, you know, the same amount of time that a motel or a hotel would, I, I'd sign up for that. But I think there could be a problem too, that the longer you keep them in the unit, it's almost like that 28 day mark for a short-term rental, they still could be considered residents of the hotel or the motel as well. Mm-hmm. So they have to be very cautious what they're doing there. Um, but again, it is to that concept, like what is, uh, what can we do short-term? What rules can we play if, if we do try to help out, keep these people off the street for the month, for the winter months, but you cannot make us go through a hearing and, and to have to be stuck with a tenant that just doesn't work. It's almost like if you listen to these hearings uh, for the tenants, when they are trying to vouch that they should not have to be evicted, even though they didn't pay rent, they talk about labor laws and they're trying to work labor laws into the tribunal laws as, as you know, their right to stay in a unit. And I'm like, no, you have to pay for it. Like you, everything comes at a price. Just like we go into the grocery store. I'm surprised these tenant activists and the people who did rent strikes are not outside of grocery stores saying it's a pandemic. We need food. Why are you charging more money for it? Because, you know, it, it's it's more money to tr- truck it all in or whatever. Like no one's fighting it. They're paying the, the increase on these uh, on these food costs. And that's what I see too. I'm like, my grocery bill is huge now. But hey, we just play it. We just need it, right? But with rent, it's negotiable. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. 
Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done in complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at Blackjack Contracting Inc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have Blackjack on your side, the house always wins. I will also add that there is currently a ban as of April 4th on new permits. So he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted. So that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. And now back to the show. You know, I, I, I 100% agree because every time I go to the grocery store now, because my, my chef is in Newfoundland for a couple months until she's back, but I can tell you, I spent way less money when she was around because she would price match everything, but the food prices like have just drastically gone up. Uh, you know, from the last time that I remember. And in, you know, I think part of it is going to be inflation and everything's going to go up. I mean, if they're, I don't know how they're going to recoup all of the money that they, that they gave away, but you know, I, I can see inflation continuing. Um, I, I can see food prices continuing to rise. You know, rent is going to continue to rise. Real estate, I mean, who knows? Right now, it's just as at the point that we're recording, um, it's just insanity. You know, so it's just it's just tough. And I, th- I think they're what, talking about minimum wage, that kind of stuff. But you know, and it's all going to increase. It's all going to be relative at the end of the day. But you know, program. The what they wanted to do a pilot program i think they were trying to give people twenty two thousand dollars a year so it's almost like a guaranteed income situation to kind of help through all this i'm like okay there's more money being wasted guys <laughs> but it's it's sad it's we're a little nervous like if you're a landlord and you got your rental properties now awesome like you got in you know but now it seems even harder for landlords to for investors to break into the market and get into the very for the first time and be able to charge uh, a decent rent that they can get as well as make some money off of it. And that's why my husband's now, he's like, you know what, I'm going to wait to see how this market's doing right now. He's like, I'm getting into the silver. So now he's part of this group. It's the silver squeeze. And now he's like, so what do you want to buy this week? And do you like this Egyptian coin? And I'm like, how much is that? And he's like, well, uh, <laughs> I'm like, 
all right, buy your silver, man. If you're not buying real estate right now, you got to invest into something. I, I will say though, I mean, I, I still think in my opinion, I, I still love real estate. I still think that even in this crazy market, you just have to be very strategic. You have to think outside the box and there's going to be, you just have to, you have to run your numbers and there's, there's still deals to be had, but there might not be as, as many as, as we're, we're used to. Right. And then everyone's holding offers and some people are buying these properties at crazy prices. I don't know if that's going to last forever. I mean, you know, rates are super, super low, but you know, recently we've, we've heard of some increases. Uh, with some of the banks. So uh, hopefully at some point it stabilizes. I, I, I still love real estate. I mean, it still makes the most sense. It's still, you know, in my opinion, how you can, you can retire earlier. It's not get rich quick one year, two years, but you can do it in a reasonable amount of time. But again, if, if you're buying at a higher price, your rent is going to have to be higher in order to cover your costs. And, and can you command a higher rent? You know, it depends on the market, but you know, it's, it's something that's just, it just happens, right? We can't have the same rent as we did 10 years ago because the house prices are not what they were 10 years ago either. You know, things change and, and investors have to ultimately to do this. Like we're in it. Yes, we're in it for other things, but we're in it for making money out of this business so that we can live life on our terms, right? I mean, we're not looking to screw over anybody, but we don't want to necessarily be nonprofit either. Like this is a, a profitable business and it's for profit um, and it can work really well. And that, and that just goes back to, we just have to really screen our tenants. Um, and then we've got to be very diligent in, in the types of properties that we buy and how we buy them and the price that we buy them. But, you know, again, you're doing a tremendous job, you know, helping us, uh, you know, get to a, a fair system and it doesn't have to just be one-sided. I think there's, there's some compromise on both sides that, that can be have to, to make it fair. Cause there's, there's great landlords, there's horrible landlords, there's horrible tenants and there's great tenants. And it goes back. I think I personally believe that it goes back to that screening piece and, and, you know, all of my tenants throughout this whole pandemic have paid on time. I think one was late by like three, four days, which they told me ahead of time. But other than that, it was, you know, it was good. They, they continued to pay and we just, you know, again, made sure that they didn't need anything and that they were good, but you were hearing, and especially you're, you're getting them right. Tons of horror stories that you could be, you could be a great landlord. And then all of a sudden you've got tenants that can't pay, or you've, you're inheriting tenants because you're purchasing a property or your tenants lost their jobs. And then they're all of a sudden the tenants that you thought were great are not. So there, there's so many, there's so many variables, right? Um, but yeah, I, the tenants the tenants in itself really makes it a good go of this business and your screening mechanisms that you use because some people just look at the credit check in itself and say okay you know their credit is good it's like no no you got to look at everything look at their social media look at who they are as a people now we look at the you know where they work it's like are you an essential <laughs> like we we want to make sure that if we had another lockdown that you're still working you know this is how the government really influences how we how we screen. And I don't think we would be screening as hard as we are if the RTA and the LTB was functionable and, and capable of handling the disputes. Um, so that's why landlords have no other choice right now. We have to do this because we could be scooped up and taken for bankruptcy all the live long day. You know, that's why sometimes these housing prices, we had a semi uh, listed for 500,000. It went uh, over 301 asking. So it sold for $801,000 in the Kitchener. And we're like, are you crazy? And I said to the counselor, I was like, that unit someone's moving into. And I don't think that unit, that house is ever going to uh, hit the rental market ever again. 
And that's what I said. If, if we have the region really trying to pump out more government housing units, but I'm like, hey, hey, wait, wait, we have a hot market right now. Landlords are selling out. They're taking out these, these uh, single families because the money's really to be made there. And if it does go down eventually, um, now they have that good chunk of money to invest back into the market or they're investing out of one area and getting into an area that hasn't even been touched yet. So getting yourself a little diamond in the rough. I remember when Hamilton used to be crap. Now look, it's like, holy, look at the prices of housing there. So there is many places in Ontario that still have not yet been tapped into. And that's where I think our landlords are doing cashing out of one hot area and putting it into another. Yeah, I mean, it, we got we to gotta go where the value is. But I, I also think that, you know, the one, the one really good thing that came out of, of this past year is that there are also now allowing additional dwelling units. So like if you've got a backyard that's big enough that you want to have, you know, a separate unit or a coach house on top of the garage or something along those lines. I mean, you know, it just allows us to go back to what we currently have and say, okay, is there an opportunity for that in this property or, or not? And, 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 take what we have and create more value from it. So I, th I think there's a good opportunity there. And that's, you know, a lot of, of the municipalities in Ontario are now starting to, to write it in, into, into making sure that it's allowable because that's, the, that's what happens, right? There's a shortage. So they're thinking, okay, what can we do? And that additional dwelling unit ADUs, I think, in my opinion, they're going to be something that a lot of us are going to start taking advantage of. You know, I, I think it'll still take a little bit of time to get there just in terms of learning the refis and all of that stuff. But, but you know, fast forward a year or two years, I think uh, it's going to be a great strategy. Oh, yeah, that's where I said, I said, you can't just stop a unit from being built because there's no parking spot. You need to start allowing these, these investors to let them do their job. They are the experts on this. Let them run this business. The government is not cut out for the rental business. You can tell the way that they run government housing and how they can make that uh, a scalable, profitable business in, in, in itself. But it is what it is. So the only thing is that they need to count on people who have that smarts of the industry. And that's why they finally now come out to me and say, okay, You've been talking to landlords for 10 years. What's the word? What's going on? I was like, oh, now you want it, huh? <laughs> okay, well, you screwed up. Uh, we just want to put that out there for you. And this is how you fix it. <laughs> so all we have to do is still continue to show them that we're a united voice. We're a united voice of investors and that we may be small landlords, but together we could become a very powerful influence for the rental housing market. And everyone should know that real estate is still a very good and safe uh, real estate investment. If you look at it, it's just making sure that you do the tenant screening and that you're managing that property very, very well. Get your, your education. If you don't know how to do it yourself, get a property manager for a year. Let them kind of help you show the ropes of what to do. But as long as you pick the right tenant and you're being able to manage it the way that you would run a store or a business, you're, you're set for success. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any like call to actions that you would like somebody listening to this to do, whether it's, you know, join your Facebook group or, or something specific to, to help you, you know, continue with what you're doing and, and the success that you're having? Right now is one is getting into the Ontario Landlords Watch group. So you can see the post of, you know, what advocating is all about, how you can get involved advocating. Right off the bat, it's about getting in social media, communicating with your elected officials, 
through social media and being able to call them out on their articles or their town halls that we were that we got to take a part in and making sure that you're asking you know our elected officials as Doug Ford and Steve Clark the Minister of Housing his assistant Perm Gill Doug Downey he's the Attorney General and and be uh, informing them that we're still wanting that roundtable discussion with with all those people plus the the minister of social services because this is an it needs to be a roundtable discussion with a roundtable of people who handle a roundtable of issues so we want them to be able to sit with us and when they hear it coming from members to say hey meet with the Ontario Landlords Watch Council you know they they uh, they believe in what I'm what I'm trying to address with you but being able to be in the group and telling me your issues and especially with the landlord and tenant board that helps me bring that information and bring their voice to the landlord and tenant board and make sure that you are contacting the Ontario Ombudsman who has been actively investigating the, the landlord and tenant board and they still are active at actively investigating the tribunal and telling them about your delays. Uh, so our, our job is uh, from Ontario Landlords Watch is to give them solutions uh, to their issues and, uh, and making sure that we're a part of that thinking process as much as we possibly can. But this is, this is really big to know that we finally have Karen, uh, the chair of Landlord and Tenant Board in power because she's really listening to the landlords. So once you get into the group, you'll be able to see what our call to actions are because we have multiple from a petition that's, uh, that's being drafted, that we drafted, that's uh, almost got about 5,000 5, signatures now. Uh, so that is really good. So we'll send that over to you too, Sarah, if you haven't seen it in the group already, so you can share it with your members uh, and keep yourself being loud and being proud and can keep yourself communicating in, in many different landlord groups as, as much as possible because these elected officials are seeing what landlords are, are stating and this is going to be a, a wake up call for them for sure. Yeah, no, it, it sounds really promising. I mean, it sounds like you're, you're making a, a lot of headway just that even in the last, you know, few months with, uh, with having the right people now asking you for some advice and, and, you know, understanding a little bit better what's actually happening versus just trying to knock on their door and get in and, and, and uh, you know, and have to fight that way. They're actually, it's really cool that they're actually coming to you and, and getting some insights and, and some feedback for, for you. And it's, uh, it's a positive, I think it's a positive, you know, change and, uh, and hopefully brings us closer into the right direction. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's a great moving direction that we have. And it's just a matter of time that we're going to see a fair and balanced housing system that is uh, beneficial to both good landlords and good tenants. And of course, us as taxpayers. And it's, it's just they said that, you know, COVID that happened, it is a wake up call uh, to these elected officials. And just whatever you do, guys, if I can leave you any message here today is that do not vote NDP. Oh, God. oh my God. Okay. I don't want to like get in trouble, but we would be in so much worse situation. And again, I don't know, this is my opinion, but they are like, they were the ones that were proposing that there is no rent increases even between tenants. So in, in terms of like, like landlords and, and looking out for us, they will not look out for us. In my opinion, again, everyone's that this is politics. They say don't talk about politics and religion, but my vote does not go to the NDP. Let's just put it that way. 
that's the problem. You know, people are afraid to talk politics, but when you really see what's, what's happening, what they're actually trying to get, and they think that their solutions are creating, uh, getting people who need housing into home ownership right away. Uh, and they do want full on rent control as soon as the tenant leaves. They also want to look at the impact statements of, of valuing the properties the way they are to prevent them from being able to make more. Like the, we were trying to pay attention to their town hall that they've had and in Informing them that if you try to do what you're trying to do to correct the housing crisis, it's just going to make things a lot worse. And there was about 12 landlords that got booted out of the town hall. So they all went over into Facebook and then Facebook, they started deleting all the comments that were landlord friendly and and left the tenant one that was there is only three comments. So it's like, you get to see how they're playing politics with our housing industry. And you need to have all voices being heard if you really want to truly create this, uh, this system that is going to be beneficial to all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I must say I'm a little scared for the next election, just in terms of a landlord, you know, specifically, we'll see what happens. Cause I think, uh, you know, not everybody is super happy with with how it turned out with the current votes, but again, I think I think it would be way worse if we still imagine still having Kathleen win. Don't don't scare me like that. I still have nightmares about if she was still voted in. I I, I even for for Ford, you know, he's done some good stuff, but you can see that he's influenced by the staff a lot, um, and that's what concerns me. When we have relief given to every single sector including commercial, but no relief into the residential landlords, but instead a bulk statement of paying for rent or paying for groceries. It was, that was the, 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 that was like the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, telling make you caused this movement of rent strikers through COVID. And this is why they're now trying to avoid eviction now with the hearing. So we have to say, okay, what's going on? Is there a new party? I heard that we have the new blue party, but do they have enough power to stretch out to get the vote and to have a better power, uh, to have a better voice for, for Ontario? It's, yeah. it's going to be crazy, I, but you got to get involved. You have to get involved. The socks, you hate to see their, they're honestly like robots, the way they talk. You can tell it's fully scripted that someone wrote it for them and you really don't want to pay attention to them, right? So it's going to be really hard to figure out who to vote for for this election, but it's, you got to make it an election issue. It's all about the votes, all these changes, the restriction, it all that comes where they think majority is coming. Uh, these votes are coming from tenants. We have to shake it up a bit. Tell everyone that you know which party to go to and we have the lockheads on, on which ones uh, we should be supporting in order to get a, a fair balanced system that is going to create a, uh, create a better for all versus just a, a section of, 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 of residents uh, that is not going to make the situation go away. It's actually just going to make it worse. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just want to just finish by saying these are our opinions. So like, don't sue us. Don't <laughs> us. Like, you know, at, at the end of the day, we're all entitled to free speech. And, and I'm only saying this because a good friend of mine said something political and now is getting sued. So I, I just like, you know, uh, again, we're all allowed to have our own opinions. And, uh, and I hope that, <laughs> you know, you want people involved. You want people involved yeah. in politics. This is how we get involved. We have to talk it out as a group. And, you know, I give my opinion, you give me your opinion, and you create your own opinion by hearing both sides of the opinion. You know, so it's pretty sad to say that people try to get sued just yeah. because they're giving their opinion on it. But they have to understand that we're just 
what are you going to take? You know, one of my four kids. I'm like, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Kayla, the next part of the podcast is the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you five questions. You may have answered these questions before, but maybe your answers have changed. Are you ready? I'm ready. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Megan Chomut. If you're looking for a great financial advisor to add to your team who actually understands and incorporates real estate as part of your overall plan and gets your money working for you, you can reach out to Megan at meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. And also she's offered for my podcast listeners to provide you with a free customized individualized 90 day game plan for getting ahead. So to get that, go to meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. That's M-E-G-H-A-N-C-H-O-M-U-T.com forward slash Sarah. And now back to the show. All right. Your favorite real estate investing book. That's the first question. What is it? Oh, good golly. I would honestly, I have a, a book called Mindset. It doesn't really quite talk about real estate, but it really puts you into the mindset of a fixed mindset versus a uh, growth mindset. All right. Awesome. Number two, I don't know if you are a podcast listener. Maybe you listen to audiobooks. Do you have a favorite? It doesn't have to be real estate related. Um, I would say it's yours. It has to be okay. yours. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from? real estate and Ontario landlords watch. I will watch my TV series, white collar. <laughs> that is a good one. That guy is really cute too on it. <laughs> oh my God, he's so easy on the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number four, if you lost all of your money, all your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I would pretty much, you gotta keep, working. You got to keep working. You got to get yourself a job. You got to get your money and then you start all over again, doing the same, same motions that you've done, even from being young, getting into real estate myself. And we start expanding since that. So yeah, it's definitely just get yourself a job, bust your butt, sacrifice. Don't spend it on Krispy Kreme donuts, which I want to go to right now. Um, and we'll be good. <laughs> awesome. And last question, question number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend that money? Secondary suite, secondary suite. If you're in your own house, you don't need all that space. Let's get a secondary suite on the go and let's get some money in so that you can save some money and start investing it to keep investing in elsewhere in the real estate market. All right. Awesome. Thanks for playing the lightning round. Kayla, where can my listeners reach out and find out more about you? Uh, they can find me on uh, Facebook, Ontario Landlords Watch Members Group. Uh, and they can also message me on my email, olwlandlords at gmail.com. If I don't get back to you right away, then send me a Facebook message on Facebook because that's where I'm always at. <laughs> so Kayla Andrade on Facebook. Awesome. And I always ask this, the last question of the podcast, any final last words of advice? Advocate guys, advocate. You got to get to learn the RTA, the LTB and, and, and address your issues and give your solutions to the elected officials, uh, the staff at the landlord and tenant board, and make sure that you're contacting the Ontario ombudsman. It's very important that you are uh, letting them know that you're not sitting back and just waiting for more restrictions that uh, stop you from being a amazing housing provider of Ontario. Amazing. Kayla, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And, uh, you know, you're, you're always a welcome guest and thanks for everything that you are doing and, uh, and making the, the system more fair every day. 
Thank you so much, uh, Sarah, for having me on. I absolutely love it. And I love what I do and make sure all of you landlords out there are signing up with Landlord Credit Bureau to have yourself protected as I continue to keep fighting for the Residential Intensity Act and the Landlord and Tenant Board to be changed uh, to benefit us all. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.